You've tuned into The Dr. Lowe Show with naturopathic doctor, Dr. Lauren Noel, where you hear the best in natural medicine, nutrition, and mindset from the world's top doctors, authors, influencers, and Dr. Lowe herself. Trying just to pop a pill for a symptom? You've got the wrong exit. Seeking doable ways to live a happier, healthier life and have fun doing it? Welcome to The Dr. Lowe Show. Hey guys, welcome back to the show. Just had a full day of recording podcast interviews and um, it's been fun. We uh, just wrapped up this recording with Dr. Casey Holland all about Epstein-Barr virus and the toxic trio. I think you're going to learn some really new information and um, something that will shed some light on a topic that is not talked about a lot in modern medicine and a lot of doctors don't even know about what we discuss in the show. So I think you'll really enjoy it. Before we get into the meat of the episode... Just want to fill you in on some of the things happening in my world, aside from, you know, quarantined and all that, because I know all of us are doing the same thing, but shy natural medicine, we are still rocking and rolling. We're still open. We're still seeing patients. We're still doing IV therapy and vitamin injections and just doing our work to keep people healthy and well. And um, we also did just start doing COVID antibody testing. So if you're local in San Diego and you want to get tested, contact us. And make sure you talk to someone at the office so they can kind of screen you and make sure that you are able to come into the office because we're being really protective about, you know, not letting anyone come in with certain symptoms and all that. But we're excited for that, to be able to offer that for people who um, need to have that information. And I just got tested myself and it was negative. I thought for sure I had had it a few weeks back, but haven't had exposure. So that was good news. So anyhow, that's, that's kind of the updated shine. We are busy right now at getting our new location open. We're doing a build out right now, which is such a crazy time, but we just got the old floors up. We're going to put the new floors down and just make it a beautiful oasis of healing. So you can follow the behind the scenes, what we're up to over on our Instagram at Shy Natural Medicine and, you know, definitely head over to our website. You can sign up for our newsletter and be in the loop of when we open in our new clinic. Super excited. I'm, I'm, I'm just elated to have more space where you can bring in, you know, more health providers. My current space right now is so tiny. It's like 1300 square feet, but there's like two doctor's offices and an IV room. Not complaining. We've done some incredible work at that facility, but it's time to take it to the next level. So yay. Um, one thing I forgot to mention in the recording of the show. So my guest got, my guest, Dr. Casey Holland, she is going to be having an Epstein bar virus course coming up. So you can get that and learn more over at her website, drcaseyholland.com. So that's D-R-K-A-S-E-Y-H-O-L-L-A-N-D.com. And with all that said, let's jump into the show and talk all about the toxic trio and Epstein-Barr virus. Hey guys, welcome back to the show. So I am looking forward to this topic in particular. I was just talking with my guests before we started recording that this is something I see a lot in my practice and we've never done a show on this topic before. So I know this will be a really good resource for 
current patients who want to learn more about, you know, this infection they're dealing with. And then also for people that really have no idea about this and just want to be educated. And also for you health professionals out there, you know, whether you're in the naturopathic or functional medicine field or even conventional medicine, I think this will still give you, um, you know, just some extra information about this condition. So we're talking about Epstein-Barr virus and also it's called the toxic trio. So my guest will you know, talk more about what that is. But just to introduce my guest, we have Dr. Casey Holland, and she's also a naturopathic doctor. She works really similar in the way that I do, just getting to the root cause of a person's condition and treating them more holistically and using the least invasive treatments possible and then working towards, you know, the bigger guns if they're needed. So that's kind of, to me, it's common sense, but, you know, that's really the unique way that naturopathic doctors work. So she graduated from Montana State University with her Bachelor's of Science in Cell Biology and Neuroscience with an emphasis on biomedical sciences, and she earned her doctorate in naturopathic medicine at Bastyr University in Seattle with a four-year CNME accredited program. While she was there, she did specialty rotations in things like environmental medicine, immune wellness, oncology, IV therapy, Parkinson's disease, emergency medicine, and also mind-body medicine. And then she worked in an integrative health clinic that incorporated functional medicine during her residency. So she's had all kinds of exposure to a lot of different conditions and learned lots of different tools. And we're looking forward to having her on. So Dr. Casey Holland, welcome to the show. Thank you, Dr. Lowe. Thanks so much for having me. I'm honored to speak with you and your audience and really looking forward to it. Thank you. Yeah, I um, I was really impressed. I mean, I think I Instagram stalked you. That's probably how this thing happened. <laughs> um, and I was just really impressed with the information you put out there. So you guys definitely go and follow Dr. Casey. So it's Dr. K-A-S-E-Y-H-O-L-L-A-N-D. Um, but lots of good info up there. So before we jump into all about EBV and the toxic trio, why is this something that you're even into anyway? Yeah, so... I guess the kind it's almost like a joke to me now. It's like I couldn't get away from Epstein-Barr virus kind of the same way I couldn't get away from naturopathic medicine. Mm -hmm. uh, I was, I think I was 10 when I first had mono. Um, it took me a good three months to be able to go back to school, whereas, you know, a lot of people, the standard is kind of two weeks or whatnot, but I was a lot sicker from it. Mm. And then, you know, I kind of, got back to my regular, but it was always, just always felt like I had less energy than those around me and I had to work harder. Uh, so my naturopathic doctor had been very helpful in my health and that's what led me to this. But then when I was in clinicals my last year at Bastyr, I started seeing patients and they were, you know, they were presenting like me. They say that what you put out comes and finds you, but I had, I had people that were presenting like me and we ran their EBV titers and I would see them really high or I would see them reactivated. And that was the only thing showing up in their labs. And everybody was just kind of like, well, that happens and we don't have a clear, clear path forward through it. Um, and then when I did my residency, it was the same thing. I, I, I saw some people get better that were doing all things and some people not get better that we're doing all the things, including IV vitamin C, IV ozone. And so it just kind of built from there. Um, during my residency, I also had the worst reactivation of Epstein-Barr virus that I've ever had due mm -hmm. to mold exposure, which I'm sure we'll kind of talk about later. 
And so during that time frame, being a new a new doctor, struggling with my own health, and then kind of it was like this whole this whole picture came into play from my whole life experience of what I've been struggling with. Wow. And ever since then, it's it's just kind of been that's what I do, uh, that's what I stay up on the research. And it's funny because at that time, medical medium was also talking so much about Epstein-Barr virus and people were so scared of it because it's this virus that is there and everybody don't know. And it's linked to seven autoimmune conditions and it's linked to all these cancers. And so many people started to feel like if they had Epstein-Barr virus, that they were going to get a severe autoimmune condition or cancer. Right. And thanks to naturopathic medicine and the way that we understand the body, we know that our body's able to handle viruses and is supposed to be. And so that's my main message is that your body can handle Epstein-Barr virus, can put it in a latent state, has the tools to do that. And that it's not so much about the virus, but about figuring out what your body is struggling with. Um, Because I don't, I don't like fear and I don't want people to feel like, especially when 95% or more of the population has been exposed to Epstein-Barr virus. So a lot of us could have it reactivate given a stressful year or, you know, our current, our current situation here in 2020. Uh, So I want people to have the tools and really connect with their body and what it needs to keep infections under control. Mm, Yeah. And not feel like a victim to a virus. And I I think that's such a good point that if you have this fear that this virus that you've been exposed to is going to cause cancer and autoimmune disease, I mean, your beliefs do fuel those biochemical processes and it can increase those chances. So you really need to stay in that that love state, not the fear state, and just knowing that your body is strong and it can heal from this and it will. Definitely. Yeah. So what is, what is Epstein-Barr virus? Is it the same thing as mono? Yeah. So Epstein-Barr virus is the virus that causes mono, but we commonly just diagnose it as mononucleosis the first time that you're exposed. It's known as the kissing disease. It's from the herpes family virus line. And it's thought to just be a virus that, you know, is really easy to handle, especially in the conventional model that they, they, that's just the standard is you get it once it goes away and you never have to worry about it again. It's self-limiting. It doesn't really cause any problems. Um, But what we see now is that sometimes it'll reactivate. Um, And then when that happens, we're calling it Epstein-Barr virus or reactivated Epstein-Barr virus, or there are standards now for if it has been reactivated for a certain amount of time, um, that they call it chronic reactivated Epstein-Barr virus. And that, that time frame has changed. It was six months, then it went to three months. Um, it, so that could change as well. But the last I checked, it was at three months. So this is a virus and it's one of, you know, viruses don't go away in your body. So it hijacks your cells and uses them the way that it wants to use them to replicate. Uh, but the body's really good at putting it in a latency and, and that's, that's where we want to keep it at. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I feel like the, the majority of my patients who have EBV, it's usually reactivated. It's not, do you find that too? It's not as common that they have new exposure as adults. Yeah. So the first exposure is usually only shows up once. Um, However, there are more 
pronounced cases where if somebody has an immune deficiency or something like that, where their body will show up with those first titers, which are which are the IgM titers, your first alarms. But usually when we're seeing it as an adult, it's reactivated because most of us have been exposed to it in childhood or high school or early college age. Most of us have been exposed to it by then. Yeah. Yeah. So for those not medically minded, you know, like an IgM titer would be an antibody that when you first get a condition, that's the first one that the immune cells blast out to fight the infection. And so there's different types of antibodies you can check in the blood. So if you see the IgM really high, then you know it's a recent exposure. So, but if the other ones are, then it can be an old one. Um, what do you, what do you use to see if it's a reactivated? Do you do the early antigen? Is that the one that you do or what's, how do you, how, what's the test or panel that you do to see if it's reactivated? Yeah, so there are some lab companies that if you say like an EBV complete panel, they'll understand, but I always make sure to list the ones that I'm looking at. And I do check the, the IgM, just, just to be safe, it's the viral capsid antigen IgM, and then I check the viral capsid antigen IgG, and then we do check the early antigen IgG. And then there's a nuclear antigen IgG as well. So there's different parts of the virus. It has, it has its inner core and then it has a viral capsid around it. So that's checking different parts of it. And those are the ones that typically give the most information. And based on which ones are active, you actually can also sometimes get information from that because certain proteins that the virus turns on will be more prevalent based on what is high or, or what is active. Um, it gets confusing because if you have an early antigen that's negative, but you have really high past titers, that's where it gets confusing because it's saying it's a past infection that's there. But if nothing is currently active showing up in the blood, how is that affecting health? And that's where there's a lot of discrepancy. But I'm sure you see this in your practice, Dr. Lowe, where the past titers will be really high, like mm -hmm. 10 to 100 times the upper normal limit, and the patient is fatigued and is having symptoms. So then that's when we have to use you know, our understanding of the immune system and, and the patient to say, hey, this is still a problem for them. Mm -hmm. If I saw that, if I saw the IgM low and the early antigen low, but the old IgG is high and they're still fatigued, I would think that it was probably a factor in their history, but I would think that it's probably not a current thing. And I would start digging for other things. Like I maybe would look at Lyme or mold or deficiencies or adrenal fatigue. That would be my thought process. But what would you consider that possibly a current EBV in that case? Well, the early antigen the time frame for that is usually between three and six months that it stays positive. Mm -hmm. So there is thought that due to the immune system that that signal is technically just going to, to go away due to how we respond. But that if you're, you know, 10, sometimes a hundred times. So I, a lot of titers I'll see are like up above 600 and, mm -hmm. and don't even yeah. measure any higher Then right. the thought is that the virus is, is most likely stuck in a more active state. But I completely agree with you 
in that um, I would be looking for other things because right. it wouldn't make sense why why that's still happening. But whether or not it's actively replicating or not, you know, we don't have the full picture on the immune system and, and how it's interacting. So we definitely need some more research and better understanding for sure what's happening during that. Oh yeah. I mean, conventional medicine, it's like, it's not even, I don't even think chronic EBV is recognized often. And it's like, if you have acute mono, it's like go home and sleep and rest, but that's kind of it. Right. I mean, do you find that conventional medicine has much more than that? I have seen that some people that have gotten their doctor to test them and it's shown up as the early antigen being positive, mm-hmm. that the doctor will give um, acyclovir or some form of antiviral pharmaceutical. Um, and for some people that is helpful. Yeah. But generally speaking, it's, it's difficult to even get the doctor to really be on board. Right. With- I've never had a patient actually have their primary care order that. (laughs) So yeah, (laughs) dealing with some good doctors. That's interesting. But yeah. So, okay. So let's say, you know, a lot of people will say, well, can I just take like an antibiotic? So if it's a virus, antibiotic wouldn't work. Right. Right. Yeah. Antibiotics aren't going to work in this case. In all honesty, they would do more harm than good as they would deplete your gastrointestinal health and make your immune system kind of not as strong there. So that wouldn't be in your favor in this case, unless you had some other, you know, some other infection going on. uh, Which can happen sometimes. Yeah. I know that Epstein-Barr, it kind of can reactivate in situations where it has the opportunity to do so, but the immune system is, is lower and we can talk more about that. But so Someone listening, maybe they're like, I don't even know if this is a thing for me. I mean, what would I feel? So let's go into some of the symptoms that might give someone a clue that this could be an issue for them. Yeah. So the most common thing is chronic fatigue, where it doesn't matter how much you sleep or what your routine looks like, you just always feel low energy. And with acute mono, the first time you get it, a lot of times it's it's kind of like a common flu or cold that's really mild. You might have a low-grade fever, a headache, a sore throat, maybe some swollen lymph nodes and just feel really lethargic and it might just last longer. But when we see it in the reactivated or the more chronic state, we see this chronic fatigue picture and less of the flu symptoms. However, a lot of times people will go through cycles where they'll be, you know, functioning in chronic fatigue or whatnot. And then once a month or so, they have a flare up what they term it and they they feel flu-like symptoms, sore throat, some swollen lymph nodes, maybe a low grade fever. So we see that happen. Other people, um, if they're if they're specifically just in an acute reactivation, a lot of times they will have the flu-like symptoms, joint pain, sore throat, feel malaise, and that can last for a while, um, anywhere from, you know, a week to several months until your body kind of gets the virus back under control. But a lot of times we just see this cyclical picture of, oh, I kind of have a sore throat today, I feel kind of achy. Another symptom that some people have a lot of is brain fog. difficulty concentrating. Also that, I mean, that can go with mold, which we'll I'm sure talk about in a little bit. And another thing that I've seen 
which also can be present in mold, but is a little bit different with Epstein-Barr virus, is anxiety. Um, Epstein-Barr virus, when it's active, turns on cytokines. And cytokines can make us feel really anxious. So a lot of times with EBV, I see this, oh, I just feel anxious picture. And mm -hmm. it's, it's kind of like the chronic fatigue where it just kind of lingers there. It's just kind of always there. Um, whereas with mold, it's kind of more intense panic attack. Like, but with EBV, mm -hmm. we can also see where you might just be having, I don't feel good and I feel anxious and just kind of always like that. Right. So just like tired, anxious, kind of out of it. And then even like achiness, right? Um, yeah. And then do you find that people who have this are more common, like they get other colds and flus more, more commonly too? Yeah. A lot of times they'll get colds or whatever, you know, if they have a child and their child's in school, whatever their child's been exposed to, uh, or if they do get sick, it'll take them longer to recover from it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What about with, um, I know like with herpetic infections, people can get like nerve pain kind of symptoms. Do you find that this can be a symptom of EBV also? In some people, we do see more pain, but a lot of times what we also see is they'll be having flare-ups of like HSV-1, which is herpes family one, which causes cold sores. Um, and then some people, you know, have a high viral load and then they're more prone to shingles or something like that. So when that happens, my question is always, is it the EBV or is it that your whole, you have kind of a lot of different herpes family viruses going on and they're, they're kind of all acting up and your immune system is having trouble keeping them under control. Right. It makes sense. Yeah. And most people have no idea that this is actually in the herpes family. The herpes family is a large family. There's a lot of cousins. They do a lot of uh, family gatherings. They like to hang yeah. out together. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's crazy. So I've been doing a lot more viral panels. Um, we're, you know, checking like HSV one and two and EBV and like HHV six and CMV. And it's, there's a lot of surprises sometimes when I get those results. It's like, wow, this whole time you've been dealing with HHV6, <laughs> you know, so yeah. random, but it's, it, it starts to really make sense with a lot of symptoms that they're having. Definitely. Yeah. So let's talk about some of the things that EBV can cause down the line potentially. So back to like the cancer and the autoimmune thing. I mean, what do we know about that? There was a study published that basically links it to seven autoimmune conditions, so uh, lupus, rheumatoid arthritis, um, even type 1 diabetes, kind of all your main autoimmune conditions there, uh, multiple sclerosis. Um, we see with multiple sclerosis especially, we see we already know that there's an increased risk with multiple sclerosis in people with low vitamin D. And then we see that increase with low vitamin D and Epstein-Barr virus. And then with cancer, I mean, there's a new study popping up every week about Epstein-Barr virus is associated with this cancer and this cancer and this cancer. Um, and I think is what is happening with some of that it, because just because somebody has an autoimmune condition or somebody has cancer and their Epstein-Barr virus titers are high, does that mean that that's what caused that cancer or that right. that's the only thing that caused that cancer? So in, in people that already have autoimmune conditions or cancer, 
we know that the signaling in their body is not working optimally and that there's problems. So the way I kind of see it is, well, of course their body isn't going to be able to handle Epstein-Barr virus if they've been exposed to it. And Epstein-Barr virus, we do see that it has proteins that lead to inflammation that push on pathways that perpetuate autoimmune conditions and cancers, but it's not the only thing that's behind it. So I look at it as more of a correlative relationship than causative mm -hmm. when, when talking with patients and when thinking about the big picture of things. Yeah, that's really important. I think of the analogy of like HPV and cervical cancer. You know, people are like, oh, I have HPV, I'm going to get cancer. And it's like, actually, it's very unlikely. <laughs> but the people who yeah. have cervical cancer, it's like 90 plus percent of them have exposure to HPV. But that's different. You can't say HPV causes cancer. It's associated. You know, I would, do you think that's kind of like a good analogy to compare? I think that's a perfect analogy. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> um, so... All right, let's talk about things that we can do. You know, we talked about from a conventional standpoint, what can be done for EBV. Let's talk about naturopathic and then we'll kind of get into the toxic trio a little bit more. So what do we do as NDs when someone comes in and they have EBV? We'll, let's start with acute and then, you know, we can talk about reactivated and chronic too. Yeah, so acute wise, you know, if the person doesn't have any underlying immune problems or other conditions, then you can kind of follow the standard antiviral herbs, um, ones like Lamatium and Melissa and licorice. You know, those are all going to be helpful. Olive leaf, do immune support to make sure that they have adequate levels of vitamin D. You can use vitamin A, vitamin C, all the basics mm -hmm. and they should be okay. It's when it reactivates that a lot of times we could be doing all those things. We could be doing all of the antiviral herbs known to mankind and all of the vitamin C and it's not, it's like, it just doesn't really change how they feel. And a lot of people get really frustrated because even when they do feel better, sometimes we don't see the titers change, mm -hmm. which you know, that goes back to, we don't really know the immune system as well as we would hope to, and we need to better understand that. But in the acute phase, really, all those things that we, that we teach with having your immune system working optimally and the common, the common flu, those work great. Mm -hmm. Awesome. And then for the chronic, when we're seeing that happening, what are some things that you would consider? And also, I'm, I'm wondering too, IV therapy for yeah. this. Yeah. So when it comes to chronic, the first question that I ask is why, I guess I ask myself this, is why is this EBV reactivating? So here's, here's the systems that we need to consider. We need to consider if there's environmental or toxin exposure. So Epstein-Barr virus has a way of sensing when there's oxidative stress in the body and it acts as a signal to turn it on to replicate. It, mm -hmm. is very, it is very smart. And there's all these studies on, well, was it this that turned on or was it that? And what they all have in common is causing oxidative stress in the body, which basically means that there's reactive oxygen species being created that can cause damage to your body and your body needs to clear it. Mm -hmm. So 
stress, emotional, mental stress, um, environmental toxin stress, all of those can still cause oxidative stress. So we have to look at the person and we look at, okay, was there a major trigger like a mental emotional event or life stressor? Did they lose a loved one? Did they go through something really difficult that could have caused it to reactivate? Um, what's their environment like? Do they have exposure to mold? Do they have um, glyphosate exposure? Did they grow up near a farm? What is their toxin load like? Um, then we can look more at, well, what has their health been like the past 10, 20 years? What's their gastrointestinal health like? So one thing I found really interesting is there's a study that shows that with um, candida, which is from the fungal family, that when it creates biofilms, it can house herpes family viruses. Mm. And is what they did was they checked to see if acyclovir was still effective and other pharmaceuticals were still effective when the candida biofilm was there. And they weren't. Whoa. So, if you have intestinal candida in your gut and you're trying to get rid of EBV, it's from the herpes dealing virus, there's a good chance that, you know, your immune function and even ability to get to that virus could be compromised. So sometimes when we're seeing really cyclical picture, um, thinking about biofilms is really important. Also, whatever's going on in your gut. So if you have intestinal permeability, known as commonly known as leaky gut, and you are having food sensitivities and histamine responses and all of this, your immune system and your gastrointestinal tract is kind of on fire and your body isn't going to be able to put the energy towards calming EBV down while that's going on. Um, other things are the way that the adrenals and thyroid communicate. We, you know, it's kind of twofold because Epstein-Barr virus definitely puts a burden on the thyroid. Um, so it's like, which came first, that's the right. or the low thyroid, but that cyclical, cyclical relationship also places burden on the adrenals, which if you had low adrenals before it reactivated or they weren't working optimally, then how are you going to be able to mount a robust immune response? Um, so all of those systems started to come into play and we kind of have to target in on which one or ones are most at play and start fixing those before just throwing throwing killers on it. So I break up therapies by like supportive, uh, uh, rebuilding, killing. So with the IVs and, and the herbs that are antiviral, those are your killers. And sometimes people aren't ready for killing because when you kill that virus, your body still is going to be made more aware of it and have to deal with it. And for some people, when they start to kill, they'll ha have what's known as the Herxheimer or the healing response or the flare up. Um, so if your detox pathways and your gastrointestinal health and your thyroid and adrenals aren't ready for that, you yeah. could have an increased response. So I have seen people have that in response to antiviral pharmaceuticals, in response to IV vitamin C, in mm -hmm. response to ozone. Um, IV vitamin C, there's, there's a great study showing how it decreased titers. 
um, of Epstein-Barr virus specifically. So I think that's a really great option. Mm -hmm. Ozone, I think the body really has to be ready for it because, you know, ozone is amazing. It is so anti, not only viral, but microbial, fungal, everything. So you're kind of killing a lot of things all at once. But when you, when that happens, there still is a level of oxidative stress that happens due to that, that your body has to be able to clear. Right. So if you're not ready for that, then that's why some people don't feel well after ozone, or they might not feel well at all after the first round, but then they start to feel better. So all of those therapies are amazing. And as long as you're catering it towards when your patient is ready, and that's what's so beautiful about naturopathic medicine is it's so individualistic right and we need time to communicate with our patients and make sure that they're ready prepare them before those those things then that can, those can be very powerful tools for getting the virus under control and and clearing out the system yeah no absolutely it's not like oh here's your protocol i'm going to put use a cookie cutter it's like no we're all very very different you have to look at the full picture, see their nutrient status, their adrenal health. I love that. That's, that's exactly how I, I see that too. It's so good. So how does, you, know, you talked a little bit about adrenals and thyroid. How do you see that Epstein-Barr affects hormones? Yeah. So it was interesting. Um, at the clinic that I was at in residency, we did a very thorough job of testing. So I got to see a lot of hormone panels paired with Epstein-Barr virus. And I saw across the board, low hormones, low hormones, like low estrogen, low progesterone, low testosterone, all of it in men and women. Um, so there's definitely a relationship there. And, you know, the relationship is a little bit unclear. I mean, there's the, the basics of it where basically your body, if it has a chronic infection, isn't going to make sex hormones because it's like, this isn't really a great time for a baby. You have other things to deal with. But it also seems like the way that hormones are signaled to be created due to the inflammation from infections comes into play and dampens that system. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So interesting. I definitely see a lot of patients with like such low hormones and it doesn't make sense. And yeah, a lot of times it's a hidden infection that, I mean, you would never know that otherwise, unless you dig a little deeper and do that testing. Definitely. Yeah. Let's talk about the toxic trio. So what's the toxic trio and how do you kind of navigate through that with patients? Yeah. So the toxic trio is EBB, Lyme, and mold. And in all honesty, um, when I had my reactivation of Epstein-Barr virus, um, I guess it's been two and a half years now. I, I just thought, oh, I have reactivated EBV. And I was like, I'll take care of this easy. I'll do, I, I did an IV ozone um, and I had a terrible reaction. It, it was very scary. I'm not, I think ozone is wonderful. I didn't do my homework and realize that I had mold exposure. And um, I had really bad mold exposure. And so then, you know, everything started coming together. And then I was also working with a lot of Lyme patients at the time. And because of the thorough testing that I had, I could see it was like almost every person that had Lyme would come back with positive EBV. Mm -hmm. um, and mold 
mold too, it was like if they had mold, they definitely had EBV. And so there's a relationship between those three that, that just snowballs. So here's how it works with mold. And uh, Dr. Jill Krista is a great resource for this if you have mold or are concerned you have mold. Yeah, and we'll put um, her, her interview in the show notes so you guys can refer back to that if you haven't heard that episode. Yeah. So good. That's, that's where <laughs> I've learned, learned all of this um, is from her. But so mold causes a lot of oxidative stress. So naturally, it's, you know, EBV is hearing that signal like, oh, it's a good time to come out and party now. Um, but another thing that it does is it causes your B cells to forget that they've seen infections like Epstein-Barr virus and Epstein-Barr virus usually mainly targets B cells. So this is why in some people we see, I think that we see the IgM sometimes turn back on Mm. um, is there's mold because literally their body doesn't remember seeing it. Wow. It's like B cell amnesia. That's why. Yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of what happens with mold and with Lyme. If you have mold and you've had EBV or maybe you had Lyme, it could have been well controlled in the past. You could have been dealing with it okay, not notice a lot of symptoms, and then you get mold and you have the mold symptoms and then EBV and Lyme symptoms. So Lyme, again, um, it, it really takes a toll on your immune cells, like your natural killer cells, which also help fight viruses. Uh, so there is that portion where it's suppressing more immune cells specific to Epstein-Barr virus. And then it also causes a lot of oxidative stress. So they kind of, when I see EBV and I see severe cases of EBV, and that's the only thing coming up on labs, but we haven't checked for Lyme or mold, it's always on my radar because those three it's, it's usually not just EBV unless, unless there was some significant stressor or mental emotional thing or a car accident. Um, then, then, you know, it's like, okay, it's EBV, but a lot of times we've got mold and Lyme. And before I think really the first step, and I think Dr. Jill would agree to, uh, well, I, this is what she teaches too, is you have to deal with the mold because if you have such severe immunosuppression and oxidative stress being put out and literally your immune cells forgetting what they've seen mm-hmm. and you're trying to fight Epstein-Barr virus or Lyme, it, it's just, it's just not, you're not going to progress the way that we want you to. Absolutely. I find in my practice, the two things that I've noticed that make the most miraculous difference for patients would be iron IV treatments for those who have such low iron mm-hmm. and then addressing mold, like getting out of a mold environment. It's, it's like the lights turn on, <laughs> they look brighter. It's, they just come back to life. Don't you see yeah. that too? Oh yeah. And it's so hard to get out of mold. Um, mm-hmm. it, you know, there's research now showing that like you're so brain fogged. I mean, it makes sense. You're brain fogged and you don't feel good and you kind of just want to like stay in your home you don't have energy to think about leaving or moving, but it's, it's so important in getting better. Yeah. That's wild. It's like, you want to stay home, but that's where you're getting sick. Cause that's where the mold is. Exactly. Yeah. So let's, um, let's end on a positive and a, a note where people feel hope that this is something they can get through. So do you have any, like maybe patient cases or experiences you can talk about where maybe someone dealt with those three and they were able to really get on top of it and heal. 
Yeah. Well, I'm a walking testament of molding <laughs> EBV. <laughs> um, I, you know, I went from when I was sick before, before I was sick, I was backpacking every weekend and very active. I don't know if I have Lyme or not. I've never tested for it. So it's just EBV and mold, but, and then um, after getting out of the mold home and doing, um, I really incorporated what Dr. Jill talks about in her book. And I did her, her course too for practitioners. Um, I am exercising again. And I, I mean, I was unable to even do yoga and now mm -hmm. I can, I can hike in mountains again and all that. So, so there's that. And then, yeah, I remember my first patient as a student that had, um, that had Epstein-Barr virus and I only got to work with them for, for a certain amount of time because when you're in school, you get rotated onto different shifts. Um, but just by changing their inflammation load with their diet and incorporating not so much the killing herbs, we did have like lysine and things like that on board and lemon balm and glyceriza and lonatium, but we did a lot of anti-inflammatory things. And by the end of that, which was only a few months, I'll never forget them coming in and saying, hey, I went out to dinner with my friends last night and I didn't wake up the next day in a flare up or unable to function. Um, and then, you know, more currently, um, I see it all the time. I've seen, I've had, I've had clients, patients that were, you know, getting worked up, having an MRI, getting checked for MS, told they may have MS, MRI came back normal. Um, and then they went through the standards of decreasing inflammation, getting their gastrointestinal health in check, getting other things, whether it be mold or candida, getting that taken care of. And, you know, they say things like, I can take care of my family again. I, I feel like I have my life back. Mm -hmm. And the other thing is with chronic fatigue syndrome, regardless of what, what underneath is causing it, is that people get used to feeling that tired and we forget right. what it's like to feel really good. And I know that happened to me personally too. And so one thing that I just encourage anybody that's listening to this that is tired to do it's just to remember the last time that you felt really good and remember how that felt mm -hmm. because your body was able to do that. So it can do it again. Yeah. And I, I really do believe that. hundred percent. I don't matter. I don't care how old you are. Your body knows how to heal. And it's just getting to the root cause, you know, to Definitely. sound like a broken record on this show, but it's true. You get to the root cause. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much, Dr. Holland, for coming on the show. I appreciate it so much. You know, I really, acknowledge you for the work you're doing to shed light on the, on these conditions. And I know that you're making such a difference in helping so many people. So thank you for being my guest. Thank you for having me and keep up the good work. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Dr. Low Radio. Thank you so much for joining us. And for more after the show, you can head over to drlowshow.com where you can find the show notes. Be sure to subscribe to the show and share with all your friends. And please head over to iTunes and leave the show a five-star review and leave a comment. I read each and every one and they warm my heart. Thank you so much again for joining us. I promise to keep bringing you fun, inspiring, empowering content. Until next time, lots of love and I'll talk to you soon.